Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Today, we're going to talk about how you can know when a new product is minimally, minimally viable. Rick is considering testing a few product ideas using no-code tools, and he wants to brainstorm what his requirements should be for validating his ideas. But before all that, uh, we're going to give some updates on our businesses. So hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrapped SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. And I'm Rick. I'm the founder of Leg Up Ventures, which owns and operates software companies that empower underdogs. What's the word? What's the word? <laughs> What's the word? Uh, so it's my one-year anniversary this weekend. Nice. Congrats. Thank you. It's really exciting. Uh, marriage is hard, but it's really rewarding when you're in a really great partnership. So I'm looking forward to it. We're, uh, we're doing some cool things this weekend. Uh, I'll keep private, but it'll... It's a, uh, it's going to be a fun weekend. I'm you trying don't want to, to invite our 10, our 10 listeners to your anniversary <laughs> festivities. Um, I believe it's up to 17, oh. uh, uh, you know, so, so it's, it would be too crowded for that. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, it, it's just one of those things where I just feel really good about where we are and, um, it's going to be nice to reflect on that. So I'm, I'm actually working really hard this week, so I don't carry anything into the weekend with me. That makes sense. Smart. Yeah, cool. so um, ma- I'm making good progress at Group Current um, with client expectations uh, since our last episode, uh, episode two weeks ago. Uh, David, my partner, and I, and the chairman of the organization have sat down and really built, started building a much better productive relationship, and um, it's been really exciting and motivating at the same time. Great, yeah, it's cool. I like the since since each of these episodes is about something we're actually working on. You know, I like that you can look back two or three or four weeks and see like the the topics we discussed actually had an impact. Totally, and I like it's it's I like two weeks because it, it'd be different if I was doing the topic for myself every week because it's mm-hmm. not enough time to actually see results. But the two in the in the two weeks we've gone so far, it's amazing to reflect on that. Um, anyway, uh, and then yeah, obviously I'm, I'm trying to start on no code projects, so. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking about, I'm blocked a little bit mm-hmm. and I'm looking forward to getting unblocked today. Cool. Sounds good. Uh, for me, so speaking of like getting value from our previous episodes, so the last one was about referral programs. And so I just sent that to a couple people I work with because they're working on the referral program. It's not really my project. And um, I think it's it's kind of a cool way to have like have a brains like it's it's almost like having a meeting and recording it and then sharing it with someone but so that was cool and now i realized you know if we want to double our number of listeners i'll just require everyone at work to listen to every episode and then boom. <laughs> yeah i love it <laughs> we <laughs> need to hacking. do that yeah that's a t- total it's a total hack unscalable hack yeah uh, well what else um so i uh i also brought up the referral topic i had a mastermind meeting um which by the way shelly my, my fiance just hates the term mastermind every time i say it she's like you're such a douchebag um so i need to figure out something else to call that but uh talked about the referral thing there so it's like we, we did the podcast we talked about it and then i took a lot of those ideas and t- took it to the mastermind meeting and kind of built even more on it and then brought it back to the company and I, I just have like, I'm overflowing with ideas now. So it's, I, I feel really good about that. Do you have a, do you, can you share any specifics around what your first steps are going to be? Uh, I don't think we've gotten there yet. We, we have a lot of ideas. I'll tell you the idea that I'm most excited about is um, we, for a long time, we've wanted a community of users. Like our users have been like, can we have some kind of forum or something? Cause we have 22,000 users, which is like enough 
to fuel a community. But we've always hesitated because we're worried they're all small business owners and like most of them are great and some of them will just dominate by spamming, like LinkedIn basically. Um, what came up is one of the uh, one of the goals with the referral program is to like give people status and like compliment them sort of. So basically to say you need to refer one or five or 10 people or whatever before you can post in this, um, which would be an interesting way to gate it and make it more of a curated type of vibe. So I, I find that pretty interesting. That is interesting. I like it. It's basically taking the, the groups that you already have and giving them more, like even more status than attending an event. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, incentivizing other people to join through the action of a referral. I like it a lot. Yeah. So I think it would take uh, that. It'd be a multi-step process to actually implement that. So it's not like an overnight change, but that's what I'm, I'm really excited about right now. Cool. Um, and then other than that, I'm just doing like a weird number of interviews right now. Like I did a, the Indie Hackers podcast last week. I, right after this, I'm going to this thing called Venture Cafe here and doing an interview there. So oh, you know, not, I'm, I'm like not, doing not the circuit. In, not employee oh, sorry, interviews. Not, not job interview. I'm sorry. Yes, I am being interviewed on... Actually, you know what? That's so funny. Both of these are happening. I wrote in my notes so many interviews. I meant employee interviews, but they're both happening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm also doing a million employee interviews. I'm, I'm frazzled right now, man. I'm averaging four employee interviews a day this week. Ouch. Is it, is this for a, a specific position or something else? It's for, so we have three, three positions. It's for coding fellows, dev interns and CRM coaching interns. But then soon we're, we're about to start a full-time CRM coach job search. So what's the, what's the diversity of the candidate look like population? Uh, I would say for everything except the dev interns really good. Um, the dev interns has taken a step back from last year. So we need to investigate that, good. but overall pretty good. Good. <laughs> um, anyway, okay, let's, let's dive into the topic here. So uh, we're going to talk about basically out of an MVP, a minimum viable product. How do you know when you're at a V, the, the viable part? So do you want to intro this a little bit? Yeah. And I, I think um, I, I, I thought about some context right before this. So I, I want to share this with you. I don't know exactly how this topic conversation is going to go. I'm perfectly fine with with just having some confidence to move forward with what I'm thinking already. Like that would be a great outcome, but i I feel I feel some sort of lack of confidence with my plan moving forward, and I'm hoping that w- whether it changes or not, and I, you know, whenever we we t- do takeaways, it's uh, I'm 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 moving forward after this. Okay, mm. so um, you know, I. Additional context is that um, you said, um, I can't remember exactly what you said in the previous episode, but one one contributing factor to this is I'm new to coding. I've never actually, you know, outside of computer science classes, I've actually actually never built by myself a product and and released it to the world. I've always had a partner or coworkers working with me on that. And so this is new to me. And one thing, here's what you said. I think I just I think I just remembered it. It is you said that the compared with where we were when we worked together at Zane Benefits back 2007, 2008, 2009. You know, it's 2019 going into 2020 now, and you said that the minimally viable product threshold for an internet-based software business has incre- increased significantly over the last ten years. And so, um, I want to. I guess that's one sort of thing that 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 is holding me back is where, how do I know when I've met that threshold? 
uh, as a question. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I, what I'd like to do is add some more content. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think anyone who ever starts a business has this question of like, how good does it have to be? But like everyone says, you want to go out and validate and test stuff. So you make something, you go sell it. But what if it's so crappy, it would have worked if it was better, but it doesn't work at its current version. So how do you know when it's actually ready to go sell it? Right? Yep. Yep. Exactly. So um, I'm starting to scope a few no code, uh, minimally viable products, uh, to work on for the rest of the year. There's just give you some specifics around the industries. They're all software uh, businesses, internet based. One is in the financial services space, specifically, I would say health insurance. One is in the, uh, is group currents member management software. So a community management platform. And arguably we already have an MVP there, which is kind of interesting to talk about. And then th- there, the third is one problem I have, this is a personal problem. Um, when you taught me, you said, teach yourself how to code. What you, you just, you said like find a problem, personal problem to solve and build a, mm-hmm. a you know, learn to code around that. So I'm, I'm actually probably going to do that coding wise versus no code, but I read a lot of books and I listen to a lot of podcasts. I consume a lot of content and I want to talk to Sable about those things. Sable's my wife. And I can't uh, oftentimes get her to, she didn't have time to read the books that I read. Mm-hmm. She, and nor does she really want to. So I'm, I want to build like a note, like kind of a Sable Notes app, which allows me to basically summarize the, you know, the takeaways and the topics and give enough context to her from, from these pieces of these books and these podcasts I'm listening to so that we can talk about it. But that's like a personal project to learn to code. That's not an MVP type of thing, right? Well, I guess the, in this case, if Sable uses it, that would be the measure of success. But so you could apply the, I, I could apply the principles to this, but the threshold okay. is much yeah. lower. Yeah. So um, anyway, that's, those are some of the things I'm thinking about. Um, one thing I need to do that's actually probably unique to no code in this space is uh, I need to identify the right stack of tools stack, meaning what different tools do I need to stack on top of each other to make this work with no code, make the product work. So in order to identify the right stack, uh, I need to be pretty clear about the minimum viability requirements because Mm -hmm. there are some pretty um, with no code, there's some pretty specific use cases for each stack and, you know, getting the right stack set up, uh, could ch- like you, you may have to change all the tools if you get the minimally viable qu- requirements wrong. Yeah. So do you want to, I mean, we could have this conversation like, yes, you're going to build it with no code, but maybe that's a separate thing. Like, how do you take what we say? Or do you want to say, let's frame this around like the constraints of what no code tools give you? I'd, I'd rather fly above no code because I think that that's just a way to get it done. It's not the, at the end of the day, this is a, a, a frame. We need a, I need a framework to, know, to give myself confidence that, mm-hmm. you know, I can move to the next step in the entrepreneurial journey. And so here's what I would like to just, what I would like to start with is I'd like to tell you how I'm thinking about it. Um, and then, you know, in my definition of MVP, and then I, I, I have no doubt that you're going to philosophize. You're, you're going to have a different philosophy than me. So, um, and, and, uh, so, so here's how I think about the entrepreneurial journey and the way I go, go about it. I kind of look at it as three important state stages. One is idea of validation and getting to a place where it's worth investing into actually delivering on the idea in the form of a product. I 
I don't think enough people spend enough time on idea validation through customer interviews and, mm-hmm. and, and really just asking the right questions of the potential market. So this isn't saying like, will my product solve the, like, will people buy this? This is saying, is it worth taking the risk of doing the next step, which is building something? Yes. And, and, I, and typically through, if you ask the right questions around an idea you have, uh, you can get to some pretty clear answers on what criteria you need to deliver in order for them to buy. And oftentimes you're going to realize that that's much bigger than, you know, that's going to take a lot of time to deliver the ultimate product that these people need. So that, you know, so that's the product market fit product, right? Where you've, you, you, ha- you through the ideation, you get to the third step which is you have a vision for this product thing that if you could build would give you product market fit and allow you to scale a, a, a cash producing business. In between that, there's this, okay, I have some validation around my idea and I have a vision for a product. How do I, do I, there, there's you know, two spectrums. I could release literally a web page that's vaporware and do everything behind <laughs> the scenes, right? Mm-hmm. Or uh, I could, you know, build it all and release, you build the whole product vision that I see and release it after a year, you know? And, and so if you look at spectrums in terms of getting from, Hey, I have an idea all the way to, I have a real business product market fit is how I would des- describe mm-hmm. that. Um, then in, you know, how you approach product development becomes, do you take a minimally, minimally, minimally viable pro- approach or do you go, I'm going to deliver the whole product at, yeah. at, from the beginning? And I actually think between those two, to me, it's pretty clear what the answer to that is, which is how much do you still need to validate it? Like if you, uh, now I'm, I think probably not as big of a fan of those customers in- interviews as you are. I don't think they're a bad idea, but I, I think you might trust in them more than I do. But if you're like, I 100% know there's a market for this. I can sell it. All I have to do is build it. Then I'd say, yeah, go build the real thing from the start. But if you're like, I, the idea is validated, but I haven't actually proven anyone will buy it or anything like that then you need this middle step to say, I'm still validating just like it's more, it, I can't, I can't validate anymore by asking questions. I need to actually get people to give me money for a product. All right, so are you, I would love to hear your definition of an MVP. It, it sounds like what you're saying it's, is, is, is it's more of a conceptual tool for that, for learning than any, you know, yeah. any actual product. Well, I've heard people describe it as in, that, that instead of calling it a minimum viable product, it should be called a minimum sellable product. Which is to say, like, viable goes to, like, does the product do what it's supposed to do or something like that? Sellable means, will someone pay you money for it? Which they probably correlate, but they're not exactly the same thing. Totally. I, I love that. Actually, that actually helps a lot because I, I love, I, I can get really far with idea validation. And I see minimally viable as for like a tool to get to further validate, validate the idea. And then you take mm-hmm. this leap to actually making money, which is the MS. P minimum sellable yeah. product, yeah. and then you try to get that mi- minimum sellable product to a place where you've proven that there's a big enough mar- a, a market for it, and you know a, a business model, that, a profitable business model around it. That's mm-hmm. interesting. That might actually solve my problem. I think I'm getting caught up on what the minimums, the the ambiguity of what minimally viable means. Yeah, if someone will pay you money for it. Now, I mean, there's a whole separate question of then do they churn and all that. But if someone will pay you money for it. It's f- that's a type of validation you can't get just from talking to people. Totally. And I think that's the, that's really interesting. I think I am not there yet with any, yeah. I don't think you can get, I think it's very difficult unless you just know the market so well. And I, I think for maybe the health insurance 
uh, business that because there's so much time in that market, I could get away potentially with skipping MVP, go, going straight to MSP. But I think it's risk, an unnecessary risk. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I, uh, what, what, one other thing, if I can add on to this, that like, I, I think that you can use the way funding rounds work as kind of a model for what how to define these terms also, which is to say before, like think of a company that non-technical founders, like you, everything has to come, investors give you money before you can really do anything. The first phase is you come up with an idea and a pitch that's good enough to convince a seed or an angel around investor. They give you money not to build the company, but to validate the idea. And then your series A is the idea is valid. The product's validated. It's all about scale. And so to me, MVP is the point where you go from proving something to scaling something. Yeah, I mean, I, I I like the idea, but my experience with raising capital is that everyone, depending on the investor you talk to, they have a different yeah, yeah, idea. Yeah. So be careful. And, and I I don't raise money, so I'm not yeah. I'm not saying that like this has to correlate with that. I'm just saying I think your you can point, look at the your the point, pure model. Your right? point your point is made in that there are different stages of a company, and the capital the the capital requirements and the capital usage at each stage is very different. In this mm-hmm. case, I have a huge constraint in that I'm not going to raise money before I get to product market fit, if, if at all, right? Yeah. Um, and so the, the capital I have is really the, t- the cash that I produce uh, and the time that I, ha- I invest. Yeah. Um, but so the threshold you want to hit is, when am I ready to, if I were to go talk to an investor right now, it's not about experimentation and proving something, it's about scale. As soon as you're ready to scale, that's when you have your your product market fit MVP. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and I, I hesitate to call it an MVP because I think an I think it's an MVP by itself. If you get if you have an MVP that hits product market fit that you can scale into a big market, that's probably not a minimum viable product. That's probably something that's unless you got really lucky with like this simple thing that just changed the world. I I, I don't know. Well, scale by scale, I mean grow grow the sales and marketing, but also like hire a team of developers and like scale the product too. Okay, so you think uh, it's like we, we're done experimenting? It, it's almost like you can look at uh, how how do pharmaceuticals drugs work? Like you're in this period where you're like, I don't know if this does anything or whatever. Now we think it works, and it's time to do clinical testing and like actually ramp this up. I'm totally realizing why I'm frustrated with this. MVP is such a butchered word. I mm-hmm. okay, I we, I. I totally agree. If you if you replace MVP in that conversation with minimal sellable product, I, I can get with you about investing, you know, into growth. But like, if you have an MVP that isn't sellable, yeah, it, does an MVP to be an MVP have to be sellable? It doesn't sound like your definition. Think so. I mean, I think that's what people mean. I, I it, 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 what this really comes down to is what does viable mean? And I think the implication of the original term MVP is that something is not viable if you can't sell it. Calling it sellable is just a little more concise or a little more precise, I guess. I, and I, I don't, I think the the MVP could be the the way I've read about MVPs and the way that I've formulated my own thoughts around them is they could. There's a huge spectrum. An MVP could des, d- be designed to provide value for free for someone in exchange for information. Like the the currency here, you know, I think that's very clear about MSP is that there is an exchange of cash. Yeah. Right. Okay. And, and MVP could be an exchange of information. It's a learning exercise. Right. So for the sake of this though, let's just use them synonymously because MVP is the term people are familiar with, but what we mean is minimum sellable product for the rest of this conversation. Right? No. 
No. Okay. No, no, then, I don't think we should so. just be talking actually, about minimum sellable. Well, I, I guess um, if you have an MVP overarching piece, you've got M. I, I, I'm not getting the minimum minimally sellable is what I would probably if I didn't show up this conversation. That's where I would go first. I wouldn't release until I got to minimally sellable. Okay. Okay. So that's yeah. I think that's where I'm a little bit like that's what I want to validate with you is my approach is more on the perfectionism side. And I like, I will go do the customer interviews. I've already done a lot of those. I got a lot of validation. I'm, I'm moving towards holding shipping back and getting to the, what I envision as a minimally sellable product. So uh, I'm going to push back on that. I knew you would. So this is what okay. I, this is why I want to talk about. And the question is like, should I just throw, sh- you know, what should, if I, if that's not the right approach, what's the, you know, I don't feel comfortable with, I generally don't like in, in, in throwing out something that is a provides no value. So, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, there's there's a spectrum there that I get uncomfortable with. But I, I need to be challenged on this. So go ahead. So, so so here's why I have concerns about that. Like my instinct is to do what you're doing as well. I think a lot of people f- feel that way naturally. But the problem is there's a big gap between validating, like from customer interviews. What you can tell is I understand the problem. I understand there's a market for it. Dot, dot, dot. But what you can't prove is this product that I built solves it in a way that people will buy. Um, so the reason I think you need to get something out there, it's not for any reason other than to continue learning. How do you connect the dots between the idea validation from the, the versus the product validation? Because I don't no, think... No, no it, I, let me interrupt you because I think you just yeah. nailed it. It's it's not the product validation. It's the pay, customer pay, exchange of money conversation. Mm-hmm. It's the, You have an idea of like something that will deliver value, but there's a leap between this this will deliver value and solve a problem and a willingness to pay an actual payment being received. And it sounds like yeah. you don't want to... You don't want... You want to experiment your way. To, you, you It sounds like what you're saying is... It's better. To, it's much better, even if it doesn't feel comfortable, to experiment your way towards the payment versus uh, take a, you know, shoot a shoot a rocket. Yeah, especially because customers are so irrational in a lot of ways. Where a lot of what they want, they don't know they want, and like weird, like with less knowing CRM, there's all these weird things that just delights people. Being able to color code something, it provides no real functional value. But every time we add, oh, you can now color code your tasks. Ah. Amazing! Your tasks are so much better now. Um, you'll you'll find weird crap like that that you would never uncover from an interview. But once they start using your product, you'll be like, "Oh, okay." There's like tiny little wins here that I can get. I'd love to hear your own personal story with less annoying CRM as it relates to getting from uh, maybe initial. Like, when did you when did you decide to release an MVP? What were its features, and then how long did it take you to actually collect money? Okay, so I'll go through this, but keep in mind this was 2009 to t- 2010. I I didn't know any of these terms. I didn't. The lean startup hadn't come out yet, mm-hmm. so I, I, this was just gut instinct. But we launched pretty quickly. I think maybe two to three months of actual coding work went into it. Um, and basically, what we had was a con. Like what we make now is a CRM, but at the time, at the time, it was just a list of contacts. And the ability to write notes about those contacts and then give each contact a status. So basically a drop-down list saying, what's the status? That's pretty much what we launched with. Um, and we, uh, you, you t- asked about collecting money. We didn't even have, we didn't build billing even. So for the first three months or so, we had to keep making up excuses for why we weren't billing people. So someone would like report a bug and we'd be like, thanks so much. We're going to give you two free months for reporting that bug so that they wouldn't know we didn't have a billing system. <laughs> 
Um, but th- the point being like, we didn't, we weren't even ready to really validate it right away. Uh, but, but yeah, I think we collected money. We, we kind of quote unquote launched January 1st, 2010, and we collected money maybe in March for the first time with a very, very crappy product. Like, how did we, you know, how did you know it was designed. enough to bill for? We didn't, but the, the point, so the, how did we get customers? We just bought AdWords ads and random strangers came and signed up. I wasn't like using social capital or anything like that. So it's there's like this inexhaustible list of people on the internet that you can you know get to your site with pay per click ads. And I was like, okay, maybe for two months or three months or six months, none of these people pay. All I lose is a little bit of money. Doesn't really hurt anything else. And uh, how did you? It sounds like you had a pretty sellable product out of the gate. Do you think that you over engineered it to start with, or would you do? The same thing again. Well, I had an advantage, which is that I had built something kind of similar at Zane Benefits before that, and people used it and liked it. So I had, in retrospect, I should have done more research and like user testing and all that. But because I had that from my former job, I was like, I know what this needs to be. I just got to go build it. Why do you say in retrospect, you should have done more? I don't, you've had success. Um, we ended up making a lot of changes, like where the product ended up being is pretty different from where it was then. So it was minimally sellable at the time, but it's, we had a lot of, uh, I guess I'll say this. I was building a CRM. I'm not a salesperson. I've never done sales. No one at the company right now to this day is a salesperson. We have very little internal intuition about what people will like and not like. So I should have done customer research because I didn't know my customer very well. Got it. And so did that, what did that? I guess what would that have led to if you had being better? Would you have de- launched sooner? Would you have developed uh, better features? Um, I think what I would have done is we would have prioritized features differently. One of the features we launched with is called Pipelines. Now it wasn't at the time. In space, it's that status thing that I was talking about, which it's not super complicated to build, especially in the form it was then. But it, it was like a meaningful part of the the code base. I would have started, I would have identified a lot of people, even to this day, many of our customers don't use that feature. It's our core feature, but 10 or 20 or 30% of our customers want something even simpler than that. But what everybody wants is reminders, like tasks. So I, I probably just would have figured out for the type of, per- there's a type of person who uses a crappy minimal product, right? This is the crossing the chasm thing. Um, there's a type of person who's going to use that and really understanding that person and what else they want versus what the mass market wants, I think would be valuable. And would you build those things or would you avoided building those things? I don't know if I would have at the time, but if I could go back right now, I would have like, I, I would have built pipelines later and I would have replaced it with something that's more core to contact management. Interesting. Cause the, the reality is anyone who needs pipelines, it, it's like a sales process. You need a level of sophistication they had 20 other objections that were going to keep them from using less annoying CRM. But the person who could use it without pipelines, you know, they only had one or two objections. No, this is, this is good. Okay. This, this, I don't know what, okay. So let's talk about this. Can we build a framework out of your experience? Because I think this is, this is getting into identifying how you know, know that you have something what that's minimally sellable. Mm-hmm. So um, I have some hypotheses around, I have done, so similarly, I, in, in the health insurance example, I, I know this market, right? So I have a similar advantage to you in the CRM space. Now, I, need, I have a lot more customer interviews to do 
to validate my idea before I would do much more product development, much, much of any product development on this. But um, I guess how would, how do I know regardless of the product, but use, you can feel free to use this as an example. When I found my contact management core piece. Are you able to say anything about what the product might be? I'm a hundred percent. I don't care what anyone, if you can copy me and beat me, Good luck. Cool. Yeah, good for so, you. Do, I mean, can you just give a brief summary? Because maybe I can like give specific examples then. Yeah. So high level, um, I, ha- oh, gosh, this is getting into, I, I can't talk about certain things because of my relationship with my former employer. Um, and I have a, I have a non, I, I'm not able mm-hmm. to enter the business that I was in. Okay. Well, if, if you can't yeah. talk about it, that's fine. But yeah, I just realized I probably need to be careful and I'd rather be okay. conservative here. Don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah. So, so I get what I was kind of going to get at is I think there's a big difference between a product where people are buying the experience of the software, like they're going to be using the software, like Slack is this way, you're in it all day, email calendar to some extent, CRM is this way. Very, very different from there's some business process that has friction right now, and I'm going to remove that friction because at that point, the only thing that matters is does it does it accomplish the business process? The experience of the software itself is almost irrelevant at that point. Yep. Do you think you're in that latter category where it's about solving a process? It's not like about the actual experience using the software. I think at, I think for a for a minimally sellable product, it is much more about solving the problem than the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think. Okay. That's what like knowing you, knowing where your skill sets are and your interests. My guess is that's the type of business you should be in. So I hope that's true. Um, I think an MVP for that. Yeah, sorry. I would just caveat with, I think that my version of that 10 years ago is very different than my version of that. You know, it has to meet minimum design standards. I think the standard on on experience is much higher than what I would like it to be. And yeah, absolutely. And I'm not... um, I'm not suggesting anyone should like punt on design or user experience. I, I think every product should focus on that. But what I mean, I guess, is like, where's the value really coming from? Like that's, that's almost marketing at that point. It's not the core value offering. You know what yep. I mean? Yep. Um, so I think the way you approach an MVP for that type of business is a little different because like, are you familiar with how Groupon got started? I'm not. Um, I might be butchering it because like, you know, every success story ends up getting like reinvented to fit a narrative. But my understanding of it is uh, the Andrew Mason or whoever the founder was not not technical, could, couldn't build it himself and basically just made a mailing list like MailChimp or something and just manually had an Excel spreadsheet and like kept track of did this deal flip or not. Um, and then would email people just like there was no product at all. It was literally an email sign up list. Um, there was no, there was a product. There was no software. There was no software. Right. No. Um, like if, if what you're doing is it's, but sorry, let me, let me give another example of this before I connect the dots here. You're familiar with the concept of pro- productized services. No. Um, the idea is you start a service business. This is a good way. If oh, this is someone gr- with no money. Yes. This is group current group current is. Yeah. A, yeah. Yeah. A, we are just to use the example that, that hits home. We are a serv- We are providing outsourced professional services management for nonprofit or member-based groups. And we are using that service to uh, fund and develop a product around community management. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, and and to make that more generic, productized services, you start a consulting or contracting business where you're just selling your time for money. There's no product at all. And then eventually you see patterns where you're like, okay, I'm doing the same thing over and over and over again. Can I build a product to make that a little easier? And then you're selling half and half. You're like, they're, they're hiring me as a consultant, but half of the value I'm bringing is this custom software I have. And then eventually you pivot fully to product where it's, you just go sign up for the software and don't even hire me we, as a consultant. We started at 100% service and we are about 25% and 75% now. 75% service still, 25% product. And we need to build our own product now because we've cobbled together a bunch of stuff in order to shift further. Uh, right. So that's another great way to like think of minimum viable products. And if you can do that is maybe you don't even need a product. If someone's hiring you for your service to solve the problem, that's a form of validation right there. So I guess what I'm getting at is if if solving a process for a company is is important and the fact that it's software that they log into every day is less important, I'd say go solve it without building anything first. We've already done that at Group Current. So using Group Current yeah. as an example, I'm realizing that the the minimally sellable product in this case uh, that we need to get to is basically building a custom version of the cobbled together tools that we have right now that does at least what we're doing now. Let me push back on Group Current though. You you have one customer with Group Current. Yes. You haven't really demonstrated a pattern yet. Um, so you could say let's go build the product, but a different approach would be to say let's get four clients like that and demonstrate that they all want the same thing, which really validates that the product like yeah, that's is, a good is point. Legit. That's a really good point. Um, but okay. So, so that's one approach. I don't know if that would apply to the, the health insurance thing, but if there's a way to servicize it, that might be worth doing. That's a good idea. What else? What other ideas you got? Um, <laughs> okay. That was about as far ahead as I thought. Um, <laughs> and, and it, sorry, just to, just to stay anchored to what we're supposed to be talking about here. What we're saying is what's a rubric for figuring out what's viable. So let me just recap what I just said. If you have multiple service clients who all want the same thing and that thing could be solved with a product. That's a good go ahead. You've really validated. What do you do in a case where you can't do that? I, I would say um, in this particular case, we do have multiple clients just to close the loop on that. And mm -hmm. I do feel comfortable moving forward, but I'm not talking to those potential clients enough. Okay. To, to, fi to find out what the, what the common feature set is amongst right. all those. For yeah. Cause you know, group current wants, Features A, B, C, D, E, F, G, but maybe like the client four would, of those yeah. are common, but there's some other yes. uncommon ones. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. Um, yes. Um, no problem. Uh, so I guess if, if, if servicizing the business, productizing the service isn't an option, mm -hmm. uh, then I would say, you know, what, what do you do? Uh, I, 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 it sounds like you, we already talked about it, which is the, you know, find your, con what's your contact management core, yeah. you know, core, like everyone needs this thing is. Yeah. And what I think if you follow startup advice too, literally people want you to de-risk everything. Like if you interview enough customers and do this and that, you never have to take a risk. But the reality is there's some risk here. At some point you have to say, I'm going to spend some amount of time building something just out of faith that I'm going to make this work. Or, so like, let's keep in mind that that's necessary sometimes. Yeah. And I, I think that the way you can, you can get a, one way you can get around the emotional side of that is to just justify it with learning as the win mm -hmm. um, and not, and, and, and seeing like, Hey, the, the goal of this is actually not to make money. The goal of this is to learn how to make money. And eventually if yeah, I do this yeah. enough times and I learn enough, I'm going to learn how to make money. And I, I'm pretty good about a, like looking at it that way. Um, 
one thing I, I just realized one thing that holds me back too is um, I don't, I think maybe a lot of companies have a lot of product ideas. Uh, and so they do this, they follow the, this is an entrepreneurial thing. They start working the lean startup process. They focus on MVP, but they don't give enough consideration to how they're going to actually build a business model that works, that, that scales. So um, I, you know, what are your thoughts on where, how you constrain the MVP process, the early product development processes and, and investments into validating actually business model stuff? Mm-hmm. Where does that come in? So, I mean, I'm probably not the world's best business model person. Um, I'm very like build a good product and just charge enough that I won't go broke. And, but you know, one approach I could imagine taking here would be like, you're in a a nice position here where you have a lot of contacts you can interview and people who trust you and know you've done this before. So you're not wasting their time. One thing you could do is just pick one or five or 10 people and say, this is my first customer. What do I have to build for this person? So like with in my CRM case, uh, I'm not going to say anyone's name because, you know, I don't know if they would want me to, but like I can remember my first five or 10 customers. I didn't know them in advance the way maybe you do. But like if I could have found one of them, I would have just said, hey, person, like if I build contacts and notes, will you just use it? Forget paying me for a bit. Like would you would you put your con- your data in there? I could imagine doing that with a handful of people and using that to see what's the minimum where I... Y- People think paying is a big threshold, but just even if you give it away for free, it's still hard to give stuff away for free. And get people to actually use it. Yeah, right. So yeah, maybe step one is usage from your the people who love you <laughs> or, or at least like care about maybe what you care, care a little bit about you. And, well, and the, the people who are a perfect fit for what you're doing, like it could be strangers, I think, but if you find someone who's on the the far left side of crossing the chasm, like the early adopter, willing to take a risk on you and basically just say, what's the minimum thing I can give you that you'll just put data in and log in however often? Yeah, that's really actually interesting. And I'm realizing, uh, coming back back to the business model comment I made, um, I think the business model concept is a constraint on what type of fe- like feature set, just sim- similar to how you realize that pipeline is not is is not the right feature to get enough users to make your model work at 10 bucks a month. And I'm, I'm pretty sure you knew you needed to get lots of users at a low price. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was a validation you needed for your business model. Um, I, I have a similar thing where I'm going after the lower end of the market, uh, small business in a lot of cases. And you got to be able to validate that you can um, sign people up. You know, it's, this, this is pretty immediate value. You know, you can mm-hmm. get someone onboarded and provide value immediately. You can, you know, explain what you're trying to accomplish pretty transactionally. Um, and then hopefully, you know, ideally you can deliver a valuable enough experience to where it leads to what has grown your business, which is word of mouth. If you can't do those things with a, with a very small business product or even a consumer product, it's gonna be really hard to scale. Correct. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you just made me think of something else. So when you're thinking about the business model, absolutely price point, like if you're on the low end, it needs to be self-service eventually or something close to that. Another side of this is, are you creating your own new market or are you competing with an established player? Because that probably really changes 
are you framing what you're making as an alternative to something or as like a brand new thing that totally different approaches to what the MVP needs to be? I oh, think. Totally. makes total sense. Let's dive into Do you that. think you're going into one or the other? I think, I think that I, I think in this particular case, I have a choice. Um, I could brand it as a new way, old way. Uh, and I, but I don't know, I don't know necessarily, necessarily if that's, I don't know if that's necessary yet. And I think that's something I need to figure out because I think that there's a way to explain this as a next step iteration. Yeah. Well, so some companies have had success moving from one to the other. So Uber is a great example of this where when they launched, it was like, you know how cabs suck? What if it was a cab that didn't suck? But then eventually they're like, well, the, the cab market is tiny. We have to like change how transportation works. But they were able to first, like the MVP was way before they started saying, we're going to change transportation. Yeah. And they, that, that was absolutely right. And they started they started with, you know, basically cab on demand. I mean, it wasn't even anything mm-hmm. different, right? So mm-hmm. so yeah, I think that's probably the right way to start from an MVP state. I think coming out of the gate with a new way thing um, with, is really hard. Uh, yeah. If you, you're not raising money, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Especially without that constraint. So yeah, I think it's probably some, I, I probably need to constrain myself to something that at least starts as a, you know, this is five to 10x better a version of this, of a similar thing. Yeah. Okay. So let me come at this from another angle to add on to that. Um, the podcast Art of Product, uh, which is one of my favorite podcasts, one of the hosts uh, is named Derek Reimer, Derek Reimer, something like that. Um, he's starting a business. And the way he's going about this MVP thing is he has this like big picture idea for what he wants. He wants to be like the toolkit for all statically generated websites to run on. But he started with, instead of saying, I'm going to make, well, well, so there's like a picture of this that describes an MVP is an MVP of a car, like a tire. No, the MVP of a car is a skateboard. I love this. It's yeah. a different product that is solving just one. It's So anyway, so uh, Derek's version of this is he just made a tool for web forms on static sites. This is one tiny, tiny part of it, but it's it's complete instead of all of the parts that are incomplete, right? Yeah, and that's I mean, I think this is where I'm where I'm going with the your val. I'm getting to the point where I'm getting validated of how I'm approaching it, mm-hmm. and I'm feeling much better. So, like, I can't. I don't want to go into details about the specifics, but the one thing that was really str- I was really str- with. So here's a couple of takeaways so far that I have. Do you have more to add? Well. What I was going to do next is apply this to group current. Yeah, so like because we can talk about that, I th- right? Well, I actually, th- I actually think uh, I can. Let me. I, let's move to takeaways yeah. because okay. um, I, I'm, I have solved my. You've solved the problem that I wanted to do, and hopefully that my takeaways you can supplement with your own and and maybe uh, you know loop you know kind of kind of come full circle. So for I think for the health insurance concept that I'm thinking about that I can't really talk about, which is, sorry, you know, I'm just in an uncomfortable situation there. Um, I, I'm on the right track. I'm thinking about the right way. I feel good about it with group current. I think I was thinking about the wrong way. I was thinking about it as a build the perfect product for our current use case. And I was moving too quickly to, um, a, uh, a feature set that was, that hasn't been tested against other, market items. And mm-hmm. the skateboard analogy is perfect for that. It's like, I need to identify the skateboard that is for Pando, but also there's some Venn diagram of like what these other cu- customers that are on our wait list 
want and we need to figure out what those are. And I actually just realized, you know, I actually probably know what they are already, but it's much less than what I was originally going to build. Yeah. And like specifically, like when I think of group current, so I don't know a lot about the managed membership software world, but there's a lot of different pieces. There's you need to be able to bill the members. You need to have some way like email list. You need to have some kind of registration, whatever, all these different pieces. What it sounds like to me is the MVP is start build, just build billing or build one piece that you think is particularly weak right now. I already have billing built. Well, you've, you've done it in Stripe. You don't have like a product people can sign up for and use. Yes. So I would say, oh, that's a good point. I, I didn't understand what you said. So what, what what pe- the one area that is so you need all these components and the the ability to build a sign up form you know member sign up you know member billing that's actually not too hard from a you know where we are now standpoint the the key differentiating feature that that everyone wants but no one can get is actually having interaction being able to set up a community that mm-hmm. is my own community closed um, but allows natural match like cure you know introduction within that community um between members that is the thing that's missing on the market and that's what that's what panda labs desperately needs and i'm realizing that that should be the focus like what's the minimum i need to build in order to deliver Mm -hmm. on that and keep all this other stuff separate yeah so let me let me give an analogy to lessening crm here now we're 10 years in and we haven't even done any of what I'm about to say, but the original vision was not that we want to be a CRM product. The original vision is I want to be the only piece of software a small business needs to operate. I want to be CRM. I want to be invoicing, bookkeeping, counting. I want to be internal chat, email, phone, website hosting, e-commerce. What we said was, well, let's build a simple contact list first because a lot of this other stuff builds off of that. And then one day we can move into that other thing and that other thing. So, And it sounds like that's exactly what you're talking about here. Totally, totally. And you know, my, even right now, I'm feeling this urge to go ahead and build the, the member management and the sign up and the billing. But I'm realizing that's working right now. It's not mm-hmm. great, but it works. We have a solution for it. We need to go prove out that we can get people to get you know our existing members to talk to each other more and kind of bring the merge the online and offline experience of you know, you know events um, within a closed community. If we can do that with Panel Labs, we know that there are other there are, uh, you have this problem. Like mm-hmm, we, we just mm-hmm. talked about this. You have this problem with your, that you're trying to use to incentivize referrals where you need to build a community and you want those communities to talk to each other and you need, you know, you, you may not charge for the community, but you, you want them to be able to interact with each other and get value. Um, yeah. There's discourse right now, but there's, there's not a lot else out there. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's, it's discourse doesn't have the option to bill, right? Like it's a, mm. it's, I don't think it does at least. And yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, but anyway, Key takeaway is uh, situate. One key takeaway is depending on the situation drives everything. Um, in, in in the case of my health insurance idea, totally different situation. It's not a it's not a service that that I'm inter- It's not a, a business that I'm interested in. You know, doing a productized service on it definitely like there's some like there's something that I need to nail first with an MVP that probably doesn't make any money to validate that I can actually do what I think I can do with group current. It's much more of a, Hey, we've got something here that with, with that we've cobbled together with what's out in the market. And there's this massive hole in the market that is preventing lots of communities from maximizing the, the value that they can provide. 
let's go build that for, you know, let's go just focus on building that and cut all the other stuff out. That is yeah. so huge. So I guess it's situation is a big, big thing for me um, that drives it. There's also constraints um, that, that are brought by that situation, such as fund whether you fund or, you know, yourself, whether you have partners, what skill sets you have around the table, um, whether you're willing to raise capital, those kinds of things. Um, and if I can just add a couple other concepts we talked about, one is thinking of minimum viable product versus minimum sellable product. The fact that wh- whatever you want to call it, it, it's not a, the MVP of a car is not a half finished car. It's a skateboard and approaching that with everything. And then finally, we talked about the concept of productized service, which is start with a peer services business, especially for a first time founder, someone who has no idea how to break into it. It's much, much easier to support yourself and generate some revenue with services, consulting, contracting than it is with a product. So start with the easy money and then evolve towards that product. Later. Yeah. And don't be afraid to build a product that's you're to the user providing a lot of value, but in the behind the scenes, it's cobbled together with uh, spreadsheets. It, it, mm-hmm. it's, uh, the, what matters is that you're delivering value. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I actually think if I were to build a, pro- a new company right now, one thing I would strongly consider is the only interface is email. So like there's no web, I mean, maybe there's some website to sign up or something, but like the idea being you want to do something, send an email to the, this address and six hours later, an email comes back to you and the thing got done. And that way, you know, who knows what's going on behind the scenes and it's, it's just pure service, but like automated. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I think it's exactly that. That actually is what applies in the health insurance example. Not, to, it, mm-hmm. it won't work for the group health, the group current example, because it, it's, t- it requires too much member to, you know. User yeah, yeah. to user exchange, but in the health insurance example, it's very much a user to me exchange. You know, right. the provider. The, he- the healthcare one is back to what we said earlier. The healthcare one is solving some kind of business process problem. The group current is this needs to be a tool that people actually want to use and log into and interact with. Correct, correct. So that, yeah. I guess that's another takeaway: is yeah, you know, what whether you're building a a business problem solver, a process pro- uh, problem solver, or a um, you know a engagement productivity uh, tool that, that drives a lot of difference in how you approach these things. Absolutely. Cool. This was helpful. I, at the end of the day, like I think about, I, I hit, hit an epiphany um, pretty early on. So <laughs> I feel much better. Thank you. Great. Glad to hear it. And yeah, I think we, you know, there's a lot of different stuff mixing around here and it's up to each person to figure out how do you like pull a few of these ideas out and apply it. But I think we, uh, if I were starting a company right now and I knew this stuff, I, it would have gone a lot smoother than it did the first time around. And I would say, I'd also say like, I did a lot of research prior to this. I tried to solve this problem without talking to Tyler about it because it's embarrassing. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I've been at this, I've been, I do nothing other than working in the early stages of a startup. So that's what I've done my whole life. I don't know any other career except being a bellman and cleaning carpets and like you know, odd jobs. But like, it's, it's something that, you, people act like they, you, you, when you're new to this, you, 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 you hear these terms and sometimes you just need to talk to someone about what you're trying to accomplish and just validate it and make sure that you're, you just check your sanity on these things and, and not, so not worry so much about having the perfect in- industry accepted definition for what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, sounds good. You want to uh, close us off here? Yeah. Um, thanks for listening. You can join the uh, conversation on this topic and review past topics by visiting startuptolast.com. If you have questions, contact us via the website or on Twitter. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas. That's startuptolast.com. See you next week. Bye.